Hey, what's going on there, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak with you, as always, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Uh, Stephen, today we are kind of veering off from our normal uh, content schedule. We're going to be talking about some teams that we could see winning the WNBA championship. Uh, basically, we are cutting it off at the oh. teams that are ranked one through six right now, just to save us some time and some notes. And I don't know if, if the Wings end up winning a championship. I, I think we'll, we'll we'll take that risk. Is that right? Yeah, we'll definitely come out and apologize for excluding them, but okay, yeah. it's, it's a risk I'm willing to take, Eric. I am also willing to take that risk. And of course, the eight seed hasn't even really been determined yet because it seems like nobody wants it. So we're just going to be talking about the top six teams in the WNBA, maybe some strengths, maybe some weaknesses, uh, you know, the case for and against each team winning a championship and, you know, whether or not we think it's realistic. Let's start off with, you know, the number one seed in the league right now, the Connecticut Sun. Uh, they are fourth in offense at this point. We're recording this uh, on Saturday. So before the Sun-Mercury game, which should be a pretty good one tonight, um, but the Sun are fourth in offense. They are first in defense by a pretty wide margin, uh, 3.7 points per 100 possessions better than the second best defense and overall, just in terms of like their raw defensive rating, the best overall defense since 2008. So, I mean, this team is really just uh, locked in defensively, you know, one of the better defenses that we've seen in, in quite a long time. And that's really where we got to start with their strengths. Yeah, uh, this team is the team that hangs its head on defense and rebounding. It's been the case all year. Uh, they've kind of readjusted their style of play from previous seasons after losing Alyssa Thomas. Because apparently, I don't know if you've heard this, but she has um, a torn Achilles as well as uh, torn labrums in both of her shoulders. I, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but that's true. Uh, no Alyssa Thomas this year, which stinks, but Brianna Jones has stepped up. Stepped up. John Quill Jones has stepped up. And there are really no, there really aren't that many weak defenders on this team, Stephen. Yeah, that's one thing that, you know, there are a lot of great defenses uh, in the league and you know, you go up and down, even, you know, the, the number two defense, which we'll get to in the aces, I think has has a couple more holes in it defensively, even in their starting lineup. And, you know, here, especially with kind of the scheme they play, you know, with the hard hedge and, and the recovery from their bigs and just the size that they positional size they have pretty much across the board with maybe the exception of Brian January, like they don't have that one defender that you're really going to just kind of attack possession after possession. Um, and this team's ability to slow down star wings in particular, uh, I think has been really impressive, um, you know, between Dewana Bonner, uh, Brian January, Jasmine Thomas, I think all have really presented a case for for all defensive nominations you know between what this team has done with uh against Benajah Laney you know five or 17 in two games so far against Connecticut uh they've held Jewel Lloyd to a slow game in the couple of matches that actually count towards the standings um so you know this this defense is good because they're, they're playing on a string you know they they're so good at knowing who not to guard you know we, we talked about this early in the season with John Quell Jones roaming against Bree Turner you know Dewana Bonner not guarding Jackie Young you know whether it's Jasmine Thomas or Brian January sagging off Jordan Canada um so th this team it's they're they're very well coached and well disciplined on that end yeah discipline was actually I was going to ask you if that's a if you as a Sun fan would use that word primarily to describe this defense, because that's that's the one term that comes to mind for me is, is, is discipline. It's not like, I mean, obviously you have a, a ton of really talented individual defenders, but one good player or one good defender does not make a good team defense. You need to have everybody on the same page. It's, it's, it's five players defending one basket. And the Sun, for the most part, are very disciplined in their defensive approach. And 
Although I, I think having no weak defenders in your starting lineup is also a good uh, is also a good thing to have, obviously, because then you can play basically whatever scheme you want, and you're not going to have to worry about hiding any one particular player. Yeah, and I think that that's the case here. Um, I, I think we should maybe move on to a couple other uh, strengths that they have. I mean, in, in terms of just defense, we can kind of continue there, like controlling the boards, controlling the paint. Yeah, um, you know, they are our number one in rebounding on both ends of the floor. You know, between Bonner, who is a, a great, you know, I, I bring her up just because, you know, you don't think of the, the small forward as what's really driving team rebounding, but... Uh, you know, she's a great rebounder for her size. John Quill Jones, obviously, is just dominating the glass on both ends. Bree Jones, we talk about all the time just how her effect on team rebounding is not necessarily reflected in the box score. You know, her individual rebounding numbers are, are lower than a player who has the kind of impact she has on the glass. And, you know, they have three-star type caliber player. I mean, maybe calling Bree Jones a star uh, in the front court is is a little much but you know they have they have three pluses I, I guess you know in that front court now taking that one step further i think in their front court they match up favorably about against just about any other front court i think in that Bree jones isn't really going to get run off the floor by many well i mean they play really slow so that that helps but Bree jones and john Quill jones and duana bonner that's you're not going to really be losing a lot of individual or or, or two-player matchups on most nights yeah, and I think their scheme kind of has a lot to do with that, how they will, you know, get Jones, uh, whether it's Bree Jones or, or John Quell Jones, out on the floor aggressively and and rely on their other great defenders to kind of, you know, rotate and, and get back to where they need to be. You know, it's not like Bree Jones is playing a drop coverage and pick and roll and, and can kind of just, uh, you know, she's going to, a guard is going to pull up at the elbow or something like that. You know, they, they're scheming around their talent in, I think, a really great way. What other strengths do you see from the Sun team? You know, they have a top two player in the league and, and maybe the best player that's going to be healthy in these playoffs in John Quill Jones. This team is is dominating the paint offensively and, and rebounding has a lot to do with that. But 38% of their shots are coming within five feet. That's just an insane number. Their strengths, I don't think they have like um, a long list of them, but it's more just kind of the the degree to which their strengths. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And, and one I was actually going to mention later for a different team, but I can just say it now. Just because the team doesn't have a ton of like obvious strengths, you know these strengths and weaknesses are not created equally. It's a, a team could be like Connecticut. They they know what they want to do. They want to play really slow. They want to grind you down with the in the half court defense and totally destroy you on the on on the glass. Um, and that's not it's not a sexy way to win basketball games. But the proof is in the pudding. I mean they're they, they're they're twenty three and six. They are leading the league in net rating eleven point two. So it's 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 been working for them very clearly, and I think this is a formula. Well, let me ask you: Do you think this is a formula that, that formula that can win a championship? Because we've seen the Sun team overachieve in the in the playoffs in previous seasons, albeit playing a little differently. So, do you think they can do the same again? I do. I was skeptical oh. for for most of the season to kind of come around on this team as a real championship contender. You know, just because of some of the weaknesses that that we'll get to. One other strength that we haven't mentioned is that when it comes down to, you know, the 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 top two seeds in the standings, it looks like JJ is going to be a pretty good matchup defensively against Asia Wilson, who has really struggled uh, in her three games against the Sun in, in, in totality. You know, I think she had one good game between the three of them and John Quill Jones's length. Uh, you know, not a lot of players can really kind of contest 
Asia Wilson's jump shot without fouling or defend vertically at the rim without fouling. Um, but John Coyle Jones has, has been able to show that she can, and now, you know, obviously it just takes a couple of games of, you know, maybe some Asia getting a few more of those calls to, to kind of turn things around, but it, it's shown that it's, it's a pretty good matchup. And that's, that's kind of what I was referring to earlier when I said this front court matches up favorably versus basically every other contender there. And I think you could also say like Kem Beige has a good, I don't know, four or five inches on Bree Jones, but Bree Jones is a very difficult player to move out of the paint um, with that uh, strong lower body and what have you. So yeah, she's, she's not going to just get put into the goal like some of the other centers. No, very rarely. So uh, this is, this is right now a league that is, um, that is controlled by its bigs, whether you like it or not. And uh, Connecticut has one of the best front courts in the league. So that's really driving their success. And one other strength I want to mention here, I don't know how much stock you put into this, but Connecticut has clinched a top two seed. Um, If they clinch the number one overall seed, they're going to be getting home court advantage throughout the postseason. That has historically been a very good thing for the Sun because Mohegan Sun is a notoriously difficult place to play. So I don't know. I, I mean... And I think I think more than anything, it's a notoriously difficult place to get to. to. Get to, yeah, right, exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I didn't go into get into the reasons or anything like that, but um, yeah, I mean, that's that's another thing entirely. It's it's pretty cool to see the Sun team, you know, have this regular season success. Uh, you could say they're overachieving again, but um, to see them heading into the, the postseason as as one of the actual favorites is is pretty neat. Yeah, and I do think that that specific advantage will probably matter more you know, in the early games of the round where, right, right, right. Um, you know, maybe Connecticut's still in, in Connecticut and, and the, the opposing team is, you know, obviously traveling to Connecticut if, if they make it that far. Um, but, you know, obviously when we get to like a game five or something like that, you know, both teams are kind of on the same travel travel schedule. But let's get to uh, the, the potential weaknesses, you know, what we think might be the reason for this team not necessarily winning the championship. I, I, this is what it's all about, right, is winning the championship. It, just because we rattle off these weaknesses doesn't mean they're not a good team or something. It's just, it's all about that championship upside. So, I mean, the obvious one for me is just backcourt and wing scoring. They just don't really have a ton of reliable scoring options, you know, one through three. Yeah, that's the weakness that stands out to me as well. Um, I was going to say shot making, but then I kind of backtracked a little bit because I do think Jasmine Thomas, when she gets her feet set, is a, is a pretty good three-point shooter. But it's just the the overall playmaking in the backcourt. I don't think you're going to see Jasmine Thomas or Breon January in particular um, create a lot of shots off the dribble, either for themselves or for other players. And in the playoffs, you know, and this is an interesting thing for me because usually when a team plays really slow like that, you want uh, several players in the backcourt who can get their own shot. And the Sun don't really have that many players that can do that. It sounds maybe Duana Bonner. Yeah, and even, you know, Dewana Bonner and her efficiency, you know, being the player with the ball in her hands, with the the clock winding down, with, with her shot diet and her decision-making is below the level, I think, in, in my opinion, of pretty much every other go-to perimeter player that, that we'll be talking about, with maybe one or two exceptions uh, in this group of, you know, six or whatever, but... And, you know, you just look at her, her true shooting, which includes free throws, you're, you're right around league average at 51%, and then her effective field goal percentage is considerably below that. So, you know, the, the foul-seeking behavior, and she's not a player, in my opinion, who is really 
getting to the line in the same ways like a Skylar Diggins Smith or some of the best bigs are necessarily where yeah, I agree. She's she's earning them. You know, it's it's kind of rough to say. She, she, she plays to get fouled. Yeah, she she does play to get fouled. Uh, you know, she's not necessarily being aggressive in in the way that you're really kind of uh trying to get a good shot at the basket it's more so like you're saying to get fouled and then you know the other options jasmine thomas is in the 15th percentile as a pick and roll scorer she's in the 35th percentile overall in true shooting so not not a tremendously uh efficient offensive player and like you were saying just their overall shooting numbers you know they are ninth in efficiency in jumpers in the half court they're 10th overall in dribble jumpers you know, they're about an average shooting team from, from three-point range, seventh in catch-and-shoot efficiency, sixth in overall three-point percentage. So it's not like they're a dreadful shooting team. And they do, to their credit, you know, have four players at, you know, 37% or better uh, from three in, in Thomas, January, Heidemann, and John Quell. That's essentially four of their six players that take threes, which, you know, that's pretty good to have all those players above 35%, never mind 37 But unfortunately, none of those players are even at 38% shooters, so they don't really have the panic-inducing three-point shooters. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the player who leads the team in attempts is at 30%, and that's kind of right in line with her career numbers in Dewana Bonner. So, you know, it, it's definitely something that I think can wax and wane and not a lot of off-the-dribble juice to go along with pretty solid catch-and-shoot numbers. Yeah, you put that well. I think this is the team where defenses are going to live with uh, their guards and the perimeter players in particular taking those three-point shots for both reasons. One, because you know those, those players aren't really known for making three-point shots, but also because a three-point shot taken from a guard means it's not a shot taken at the rim by either of the Joneses. So it, it, it goes both ways there. But waxing and waning, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, we saw in the playoffs last season, um, was that Jasmine Thomas who had that ridiculous game against the Aces? Uh, where she yeah, hit a- game, game one, she was outstanding. Right, right. And then for the rest of the series, it was like, okay, well, what happened to that? So it's, it's definitely not consistent with them. I think maybe like Natisha Heidemann is a player who can come off the bench and give them a little bit more spark offensively. But that kind of leads me to my next point. I'm not sure how much functional depth this team really has. Yeah, Heidemann is probably the one bench player on this team you feel good about in a five-game series. But And this team does play their starters a ton of minutes and plays them together a ton. You know, But even with that being said, one of you know, Beatrice Mom Premier as your third big or Kyla Charles, you know, with Bonner shifting down to the four in kind of those bench lineups. Like one of those players is probably going to have to play. And I don't know how much you trust either of those players as second year players in a playoff rotation against the best teams. You definitely agree with that. It's almost like they're just going to play because they have to, not because they create any sort of advantages for the Sun. So that 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 kind of that would kind of worry me. Um, the other thing that really sticks out to me as a weakness is that this team is actually really not that good at taking care of the basketball. They rank 11th in the WNBA in turnover percentage. Uh, they give it away on right now 20% of their possessions. For a team that can't really afford to give away that many possessions, that's not good. Yeah, and I think the most alarming part about that is that they allow a ton of live ball turnovers. They are third worst in the league, allowing their opponents uh, a hair under an 8% steal rate. So that's, you know, not throwing the ball out of bounds and getting your defense set, you know, for a team that has been able to control the pace so much when you're giving away live ball turnovers against the wrong team, that's going to lead to transition opportunities and, and transition opportunities, as we know, are a very efficient way to, to get good offense. All right. So uh, do you have any more points on the Connecticut Sun? 
I mean, I would just say quickly pace, you know, as, as much as it's great that they're able to kind of control the pace for themselves and play at this slow, deliberate offense and, and grind their opponents down in that same way to not be able to kind of play a different style. And, you know, they don't really have the horses to kind of get out and transition and create easy offense for themselves. You know, maybe it won't end up mattering, but you can see that as a possibility for why, you know, this offense might struggle against some of the other best defenses. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in years past, I referred to, I, I referred to these Sun teams that were overachieving, if you want to call it that, or or um, outplaying their expectations. We'll put it that way. And a major part of that was Alyssa Thomas, just carrying this team in basically every category. Um, with her play, like they can overcome obviously her her absence on defense and on the boards, but it's that transition game um, and that will of getting to the free throw line that they they just don't have it this year like there's just nobody on this roster who can who can replicate that so i could definitely see this sun team like getting themselves in an early hole in a game and just not being able to claw themselves out because they just aren't efficient enough in the half court and they don't have that ability to generate transition offense okay we spent a, a ton of time on connecticut uh i guess we can move on to the team currently in the the second seed in the standings the las vegas aces they are the best offense in the WNBA currently and second in defense where do you want to start with their strengths? I think their strengths are pretty obvious. Um, honestly, they have oh, they have a lot of them. They're a really good defensive team. Not quite as good as Connecticut, but still really darn good. They're a really good defensive rebounding team, just a hair under Connecticut. They barely turn the basketball over. They dominate the free throw line as as we're used to. Like, where do you even start with this? I, th- I think where I wanted to start, and, you know, just to kind of back up what you were saying, they are number one in the league in terms of not turning it over. They they definitely just own the paint and own the rim. They are number one in frequency allowed at the rim, so the best defense in terms of allowing shots at the rim. They're number one overall just in kind of half-court efficiency as an offense. They force 18% of opponents' field goal attempts between that 15-foot area and the three-point line, so just generating a ton of long twos defensively um which you know that's not a good shot like that that's a great defense if you're doing that and when you're also getting to the line that's a perennial strength for this team they are number one in getting to the line and then number two in not allowing their opponents to get to the line uh as well as you know as you were saying number two in defensive rebounding like they they control that area of the court uh when you just kind of consider the totality of it better than any other team in the league. So one thing I wanted to say about this is I, I think the, one of the obvious weaknesses of the Aces is that, you know, they don't take a lot of threes. That's That's been the knock on them ever since Bill Lambeer, shocker, has been hired. But to Bill Lambeer, to Bill Lambeer's credit and the Aces' credit overall, the, this team excels at so many other areas that the quote-unquote analytics or the advanced stats love. Uh, analytics loves free throws. Analytics loves shots at the rim. Analytics loves not turning the ball over. Analytics loves forcing offenses to take low-efficiency jump shots. So don't get it twisted. Like, the Aces stand out in a ton of advanced statistical categories. Yeah, that's a great point. Just because, you know, they're they're not bombing away from threes doesn't mean they are, you know, some archaic team uh, from, you know, an analytics point of view. Um, Some other 
strengths I wanted to get to is just, you know, I think this team has a ton of high end depth. You know, they don't have, they're not, they're not going 10 deep, but they have, you know, three to six or seven players that are just better than other teams, third to sixth or seventh best player. Um, And along with that, they just are extremely staggerable, right? You can play one of Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum at all times. You can play one of Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage at all times. You know, if Cambage is able to kind of get her minutes up in the playoffs and and that gives them a fairly good offensive option from both the backcourt and the big spots for the full 40 minutes. They also just have a ton of options that can get you a decent shot. You know, it's not necessarily as, as much as Asia Wilson is a great player. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, throw the ball to Asia with five seconds left and, and she's going to uh, force something up. So many of their, even Jackie Young for all her limitations can get you a pretty tough pull up to, you know, Chelsea Gray with her fade away. They just have a lot of different options they can go to in terms of, you know, even if it's not the best shot, it's better than, you know, what a Jasmine Thomas would give you on a dribble pull-up. That's a good point. We'll just say they're a, they're a very good, bad shot-making team. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair way to put it. You know, and another, to kind of build off that, just the, like, the optionality that this team has to kind of give you some different looks, uh, you know, they have... They can go with the three-guard lineup with Plum, Gray, and Raquana Williams. They can play three bigs with uh, Hamby, Cambage, and Asia Wilson. They can go with Wilson at center, whether it's with the three guards or with Jackie Young in there. So they just can, I think, maybe more than any other team, have different looks that they can give you from like a lineup perspective. Yeah, that's when you can match up against basically any other opponents and have some sort of advantage created in your favor. That's that's good. Uh, functional depth, which is basically my favorite term ever. The Aces have a ton of it, uh, just because they don't go ten deep. Like if you're in the playoffs, that doesn't always matter. Like that's not a, that's not a bad thing. And then obviously, you know the the transition game, number one in transition frequency on offense, number two in efficiency. Um, for for a team that has, you know, so many that that plays so big so much of the time for them to be able to control the pace in pretty much the opposite direction that that Connecticut does, you know, that leads to a lot of uh, easy offensive opportunities. But should we move on to the the weaknesses now? Yeah, weaknesses. I mean, I think they're, they're kind of few and far between for this team. You can say floor spacing. I think you'd be correct. Um, I just have like the that optionality that you're talking about. It's a good thing. But some of those lineups can get kind of awkward. Like you can talk about, okay, you can play Derek and Hamby at the three. Okay, but what advantages, what, what are you going to get out of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, she's she's not a great floor. I think she can guard the three perfectly fine, um, even if... But offensively, it's not going to... Yeah, right. What she's kind of bringing to you there is, you know, maybe some offensive rebounding. Her, uh, I think she's one of the best cutters in the league, but yeah, teams are not you know, panicking when Dierka Hamby is taking a, a spot up three, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, I guess, you know, some of those lineups are, are, are not ideal, um, but you know, they, they do have so many other options. Um, you know, I think maybe just getting, getting Liz Cambage defending in space, you know, for a team that's this good for them to kind of have, you know, a go-to action. If you have the right players where you can, you can reliably kind of get a pretty good look with like a, a high pick and roll involving uh, Liz Cambage's uh, often, you know, the player that she's defending as the screener and, and kind of drawing her out away from the rim where, where she's a very effective presence uh, at the rim defending, in my opinion. You know, um, I think that's that something that you can see over the course of a five-game series. That's a good point, especially with her, you know, 
going in and out of the lineup uh, for uh, a large part of this season, uh, I think the the conditioning is is a fair thing to question. Not not her fault, obviously, but um, when it comes time for the playoffs, is is she going to be able to play that much? Well, I mean, especially coming off uh, a COVID nineteen diagnosis, we yeah. obviously we we hope for the best there. But yeah, to your point, you know, outside of their their shot diet offensively, you know, they have the the third highest proportion of their field goal percentage coming from that longest area of twos. You know, Chelsea Gray, Asia Wilson. We 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 talk about how many of the, their attempts are kind of non paint twos. You know, Jackie Young, over forty percent of her field goal attempts are are non paint two point jumpers. They do never turn the, their opponents over, which is kind of surprising, I think, for a team like this. Maybe, you know, they, they do play, I guess, a pretty conservative sort of pack the paint type defense more so than, you know, kind of gamble to get steals. And, and they're still able to just play out in transition um, off of defensive rebounds and, and stuff like that. Um, one other uh, big weakness, and as much as, you know, you talked about awkward lineups and I talked about how many options they have, their options at the three I think I feel a little bit better, you know, that they've been playing a three-guard lineup as late uh, as of late, so they can kind of get some of those different options, feeling comfortable with themselves. But there, there's just still that possibility that you know Jackie Young in the playoffs isn't the player that she is in the regular season. The big three lineup, for as much as you know, they could destroy all the teams they face, but you can still see a world where it just doesn't work in a specific matchup, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not. I'd call them the favorites, but I wouldn't call them inevitable like I would maybe the storm of last year. I think we should maybe talk about this with, with most teams, definitely not the one that we just talked about in Connecticut, because that's a pretty much a foregone conclusion. But like, what is your five-player lineup in closing games come playoff time with this team? I think you need to consider putting Kelsey Plum in next to Chelsea Gray because you'll have that much more playmaking. And if you have one player who the team is is trying to haunt on defense, I don't think it's that big of an issue. Uh, I, I guess it would depend on, on how you're trying to play, because because one thing I did look at that I'm not sure if this is if this is anything or not. You tell me, but um, the the WNBA.com stats really favor the Aces in clutch. They have the best clutch net rating at 24.6, and they also turn the ball over just 9.5 percent of the times in the clutch. Um, they didn't actually specify what clutch is. If if you go to the stats and you just go to um clutch and then advance which is where i got that from they don't actually say like what clutch means so i have a hard time actually figuring out what that means but whatever they're doing in the regular season in close games it's working what do, what do you think about about this i mean i feel like clutch to, to my understanding of the definition is like games within five points under five minutes or, or, or less or something like that and when you're talking about that that small of a proportion of the game and so few games. So the sample size could be really I, I just think it, it might be noisy. I mean, this team obviously is very well disciplined and, you know, for as much as Bill gets heat well coached and, and they, they're they so in, ingrained in their identity that they, they kind of know how they want to play. So if it was another team, I would probably think it's even more noisy. But yeah, th- there's definitely something to just, you know, that, that could swing when you're talking about a five-game series either way, I think. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah, but but to, but to answer your question, I, I think, gosh, I think for me it would depend on who they're playing. But if you have, well, let me let me ask you this: is is Cambage a lock to finish games for you? I would like to. I would like to have her finishing games, but I can't say that she's a lock because I don't know where she's going to be at conditioning wise, or uh, I can't say where she's going to be at if she's like you said defending out in space. What what if in Connecticut, you know? 
do you want her defending like uh, John Cole Jones uh, of a pick and pop late in the game? I don't think that's favorable for uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, and then I, I guess the other factors that you consider, you know, Chelsea Gray and Asia Wilson, for me, they're locks. I, I think Kelsey Plum is pretty much a lock, although Raquana Williams is presents kind of a different game than Plum. And, and maybe if you just want a little bit more of a low usage type player from the floor spacer you know more of just a pure floor spacer who honestly might even be a better defender than plum this season so those three i think you know it's so hard to see hamby not in that mix see, uh, that, that, that's where i was going to go with this because i remember previous postseasons in which hamby was like almost always out there because she is one of their better players so i mean eh. yeah so it's definitely one of the tougher ones i think that we're we're going to come across and you know maybe that's uh, a good thing for them but you can see uh, some tough choices that that you know they're going to have to make. I think I think I lean, you know, uh, Gray, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, Hamby, Wilson, Cambage. You know, most of the time I would say. Okay, very fair. So you just take you, you just take the perimeter defense weaknesses against whichever whichever go to scorers on the other team. Then I mean, especially if it's against Connecticut, like is Kelsey Plum being out there really going to kill you against? Oh, right. Like you could just Brianne play Hamby on Bonner and, and be perfectly fine with it. Yeah. So I guess standings wise, we should probably move to Seattle, right? They're currently in the three seed. Okay. So Seattle, um, first a disclaimer, uh, Brianna Stewart is out for the rest of the regular season, which is terrible. Uh, they don't know if she's going to be back for the playoffs in time. If she's not, I think it's a foregone conclusion that the storm are not really going to win a championship if they don't have their best player. Um, so we're just going to go about this exercise. If, as if Brianna Stewart postseason, her foot is magically healed and good to go. Yeah. I think that's the most interesting way to talk about this. Otherwise, you know, the storm aren't even in this conversation really. Um, yeah, I agree. So you want to start with strengths or weaknesses for them? Um, I mean, they're the, they're the defending champs. I think you need to start with strengths, uh, strengths. They have Brianna Stewart. <laughs> they have Jewel Lloyd. They have Sue Bird. They have, like the previous team, um, a lot of high-end talent. And not just that, but a lot of high-end talent that has been there before. This team has won championships together. Uh, they know what it takes, even though the, if, even if the complementary players surrounding them look much different than they did in the past. Uh, this is a team where I wouldn't be surprised if they just turn it on and, and, and just totally wreck everything in the postseason again. Although I think there's much less of a chance of that happening than it was last year. Yeah, and I'm not really sure, you know, how much this matters, but they have positional balance from their stars. You know, they have a superstar big, you know, maybe the the best player in the league. We both had number one uh, a few weeks ago. They have the best wing in the league, in in my opinion, in Jewel Lloyd. They have, uh, you know, not a superstar ball handler, but a star ball handler in Sue Bird, who's going to provide valuable floor spacing and, and obviously do the things that Sue Bird does. You know, you juxtapose that to, say, Connecticut or Minnesota, where their best players are all kind of front court players. So maybe that means nothing. But, you know, having having a little bit more, I guess, uh, I guess, versatility from your stars rather than, you know, Collier and Falls, who are both, you know, who are four fives, essentially. And, you know, like I said before, with with Connecticut. Um, so this no, team, I, don't think, I don't think it means anything. I don't think it means nothing. Yeah, sure. If, if, if you win the individual matchup at the two every game you play, that's that's huge. What other strengths does this team have? I guess they're they're pretty balanced offensively, not necessarily in terms of their scoring output, you know, five players scoring 12 points or something, but they can just play different styles of offense. You know, they're number three in half-court efficiency. They're number one in transition efficiency, and they get out in transition uh, a, a pretty good amount, uh, as well as defend in transition. You know, they never allow transition 
opportunities. They're they're best in the league in terms of transition frequency defensively by a lot. Uh, so you know that that's pretty uh, pretty good when you're not allowing the the most high efficiency opportunities. Which is interesting because they're not one of the stronger rebounding teams in the league, correct? No, they're not. Um, so I, I think it's just playing playing disciplined, um, you know, basketball in terms of kind of getting back and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, in, Stephen, in, in terms of one strength that I kind of wanted to talk about specifically is their offense. Um, I really like their scheme. And, and maybe a lot of this has to do with just how the roster is built. But I really like that they look for the corner three-point shooter as much as they do. Uh, and they look for corner and wing three-pointers in transition as much as they do. I could see this team just totally rolling over somebody else in the first round if if, if it comes to that, or, or the second round, rather, um, just in, in, in like a hail of three-pointers because they're just like making everything. Uh, of course, conversely, make or miss league, of course, um, there's a good chance that they just shoot terribly from three-point land and can't get anything going, you know? How, how confident are you in their shooting as a whole? You For know? some reason, I'm not. I, I just can't explain why it, it seems like, the, and I have, this is totally anecdotal. Like I have nothing to back this up. So take it for what it's worth, but it just seems like they've been in a lot of make or miss games. If you want to call them that, they just haven't gone their way this year, you know? Yeah. It feels like they, their, their stars obviously are all plus shooters. I would say for their position, I think Talbot is a, a reasonably good shooter for, for what she's asked to do. And then, you know, who else are you really feeling good about kind of passing it out to the to three-point line like samuelson in theory but again like that that's something that hasn't really been it hasn't really manifested for much of her wnba career so i, I have a hard time saying like yeah and she's in is, like the i think she's in like the 16th percentile as a spot-up player this year yeah, so that's it's not gonna get it done uh so yeah like i said I, I think there's a high amount of unpredictability with their outside shooting like i said this team doesn't have the inevitability that it did last year of course, they don't. All, they don't. They also don't have far and away the best roster anymore. But you know that that has something to do with it. But um, any clear weaknesses for you? Yeah, you know, getting to the rim for sure. They're they're bottom two in. I should say they're the second worst team in in getting their shots within five feet. And you know, just beyond that, like I think the most interesting thing to talk about is that I don't think this roster is very good outside of the top three. Like they just don't have a lot of players who can do a lot of things. Like each of their players kind of checks their box right yeah that's that's a good point um like you could you could you could say okay samuelson and talbot those are your three-point shooters on the wing magbiger and russell those are your those are your defenders inside and those are the players you're going to get the glass uh jordan canada that is your transition engine who will pass the ball and not space the floor so you're right i mean they're beyond their best players their complementary players are they're very specific yeah, and don't bring with them a, a ton of versatility, you know, even for as great of a season as Mercedes Russell is having, like, I can just see this team and, and this this Storm team being, you know, third in offense or whatever. I can still see this team, you know, with a traditional center out there, and I think they, they're going to have to play either. To. Yeah, right. You know, I can just still see them kind of having trouble scoring, playing with a traditional center and playing with one of their small forward options because you know Talbot offensively doesn't really give you much outside as as a spot-up shooter Samuelson has not been a very effective half-court player this season you know I, I like what she's done in, in transition for sure um, but just in terms of reliably spacing the floor like she's not really taking advantage of her size offensively you know uh, she she has the positional 
size advantage over over most players that she's going up against and it doesn't really seem that that's a functional advantage as you'd say well steven if you're a defense what would you rather have samuelson posting up against your small forward or brianna stewart taking a shot it's like just because she can do it doesn't mean that's that's an effective shot for the storm offense but i I get what you're saying yeah that's a great point maybe that's just not something that they're really hunting out because you know they they just do have some better options out there and you know I, i don't think this team just has players who can create a shot you know stewart and lloyd are great at kind of you know getting a basket when they need to maybe lloyd a little bit even more than stewart in terms of just kind of getting something you know creating an effective look for herself or someone else uh, and they have positive offensive players. You know, Sue Bird is, is you know, a great point guard, a master manipulator of the defense. You know, they have a couple of valuable floor spacers, but who, like their next best player in terms of just like going to get you a shot, you know, creating something. Is it like Epiphany Prince? Well, that's that, that's another thing. Uh, like, is Jordan Canada going to be healthy? I'm, if For all her deficiencies, she is one player who can at least drive to the basket. But yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, it does seem like this team now synergy has them ranked seventh in frequency of shots, half court shots that end in a jump shot, man. It seems higher than that, Steven. It, it seems like they, it seems like they hunt jumpers, you know, and maybe that's why they're, maybe that's why it seems like so many of these games, they're, they're, uh, are, are closer than you'd expect because they're just missing a lot of shots. It's because like, that's the shot that they want. They want to get the open jump shot. And if those aren't going in, well, that's a problem. Yeah, it is a problem for sure. So do you feel good about one particular kind of closing five for this team? You know, I think, does this team have a lot of options, right? They can go with two traditional bigs with either Russell or Ezzy at center. Maybe against bench lineups can go with Stewart at center and Katie Lou at the four. Probably not going to want to do that too many times against no. starters versus starters, I would say. But they could close games with Katie Lou or Talbot at the three. They could go to that three-guard lineup we've seen at times with Bird, Canada, and Lloyd. You know, if Canada is able to get back, I think we're still not sure about that. I mean, are, are any of those, like, does, does that, laying that out, does that sound like they have a lot of options or, or is that not really, are none of those no. really too attractive? No, they're not attractive to me. And that's that's definitely a problem because, like I said earlier, this is a league dominated by its bigs. You, There are no situations I can see for Seattle where they can really impose their own advantage. I mean... Bri- having Brianna Stewart is awesome. That's great. But you can only have one Brianna Stewart. <laughs> so uh, it, it's who can you put next to her? It's got to be either McGregor or Russell because if you put Stewart at the five and Samuelson at the four, you're going to get killed against basically any other team that's currently in the playoffs. So I don't know. I, I don't think the possible advantages would outweigh the disadvantages enough to justify such a move. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe you can get away with it with against like Phoenix or something and not really... Or Chicago. Yeah, Chicago, that was kind of... But those are, you know, five and six in the standings, right? So it sounds like you, just in terms of, like, this team being a serious title contender, like, how are you feeling about them? I'm not feeling great. I'm not feeling great. I'm definitely feeling worse about them than I was earlier in the season. I think they've maybe come back down to earth a little bit. Uh, When we talked about their offseason, you know, before the season started, we were both really low on their offseason because they lost a couple of really darn good players in Natasha Howard and Alicia Clark. Of course, they still have the high-end talent uh, and just basically just the, the the pedigree all around the team, you know, the franchise, to remain a contender. But it's, like I said, it's it's, it's far from a foregone conclusion who's going to win the championship this year, mostly because Seattle has downgraded so much. So, like, I could see them winning another title, yeah, 
but I don't think they're the favorites by by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, one thing I was thinking about was if you just combined all the best things from Katie Lou Samuelson's game and all the best things from Stephanie Talbot's game, you still have a worse player than Alicia Clark. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, Alicia is just so amazing on defense and the basketball IQ is so high. I, I don't even say all this. You know, we we've talked about how much we love Alicia Clark's game and everything like that. But yeah, it's huge loss for them. Huge. And then of course with with, with Howard. Uh, that's a player who you know you have a much more limited front court now, just in, in terms of, just in terms of skill, raw skill. All right, let's move on to uh, the Minnesota Lynx. They are currently sixth in offense and fourth in defense, and it felt like they were kind of on a roll there before you know they were uh, a shorthanded team that kind of got beat down by the Aces, who were also shorthanded in that game a little bit. Their strengths, uh, I don't have a long list here, Eric. I, I can go through it. You know, post-scoring, they're, they're number one in post-scoring efficiency. Sylvia Fowles having another terrific individual season on, on both ends. You know, Nafisa Collier can put smaller players into the goal. Um, you know, maybe she won't be able to do that much uh, anymore, kind of playing at the four a little bit more now with, with Dantas out overall just kind of points in the paint you know powers can get to the paint clarendon is is such a strong player for his size they're number one in the league minnesota is in percentage of points coming in the paint anything to say about that before i kind of list some of my other ones uh i can confirm that having sylvia Fowles on your team is is, a, is an advantage that it, it sounds like a good thing to me to have sylvia Fowles on your team yeah it seems uh, like it rules it seems like it rules yeah it, that was me once long ago but anyway yeah um Fowles is a player who i think She's one of the few players in the league. Earlier I said one good defender does not make a good team defense. I think she's one of the few players in this league who can at least turn a bad defense into an acceptable one. Um, and she's on track to maybe win another Defensive Player of the Year award, and it would not be, you know, she, it would be hard. Would not be unjust. I don't know if she'd be my pick, but you can definitely make a reasonable case for sure. And, you know, that leads me to my next strength, which is just pick-and-roll defense. You know, the, the overall numbers this season aren't great, but fouls in in my opinion, in terms of playing the pick and roll two on two is, is the best in the business. Uh, and, you know, along with that, you know, for better or worse, probably worse overall, but they, they no longer have Damaris Dantas who, you know, you just watch a Lynx game against a good offense and you kind of know, you, you saw the target that Damaris Dantas had on her back in terms of teams hunting out switches or, or putting her in the pick and roll. So, you know, maybe that turns a little bit more into a strength overall in the playoffs. You know, defensive rebounding, I, I think is, is a strength. Just you know, all things that relate to Sylvia Fall's game, I, I suppose, defending in the paint, their third in attempt frequency defensively allowed in uh, shots within five feet, and they're allowing under 60% field goal in that area. So, so pretty good. Uh, one other one I had here was just like overall team strength, you know, fouls, obviously, uh, Collier, um, but Lasia Clarendon is, is stronger than most point guards. McBride, I think, has great positional strength when she's playing the two, you know, Powers can really get her shoulder into uh, a, a lot of other threes and, and isn't really going to be, you know, put in the goal defensively, you know, that that's not really her weakness on that end. So I, I do think this team has a lot of just overall kind of team strength. So literal strength, like? Yeah, like being okay. physically strong. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I, I don't disagree for sure. They're, they're definitely not going to get bullied uh, in, in most positions. Uh, and speaking of speaking of those wing players, I think they've got good wing depth offensively at least. You know, Powers, McBride, and, and, and Collier, if she's going to be playing there, that's a very solid trio of players. Um, it's, it's maybe not world-beating, but you, you feel good about the options you have, at least offensively, uh, with those group of players. And then if you throw a Bridget Carlton in there, that's that's another player who's been pretty good in her role this season. So um, 
one of the things that we liked about the Lynx heading into the season, when I think we were pretty high on them, right? We said they could we could see them winning a title. Um, is that you know they they have good depth on the wing, and whether or not it's it's going to be completely functional depth is is another thing that remains to be seen. But now that Ariel Powers is coming back and getting her groove back, that is a player who you know at her best can rattle off six or eight straight points in a row and, and in a in a like a one and done playoff game. That's that's crucial. I definitely agree with you in terms of the functional depth. You know, they don't have, they have a lot of players that can really contribute positively in the playoffs. Conversely, though, I do think, you know, they, they kind of lack star power from, from those positions. Oh, I agree. I, I totally agree. It's a, it's my, my question is like related to, to your point there is powers like the go-to perimeter player down the stretch. Like who, who is that player? It's not, it's not an unquestioned, who's going to get the ball at the end of the game sort of thing, you know, that's, I, so I agree with you. Yeah. And honestly, that player should probably be Lasia Clarendon if, if she's healthy. That's one other thing that I think more so maybe than any other team we're going to talk about is that I just don't, I don't know if this, this player's best players are, are, you know, really, than the other team's best. Well, players. no, that, that too, but that's not what it's just like compatible with each other. Like how well does a Lasia Clarendon aerial powers, lineup fit together i mean we don't know because they've played like 30 minutes total together but like both of those players really kind of need the ball in their hands to to be effective clarendon doesn't provide floor spacing in the way that she's not going to take a ton of threes but they do just attack hard off off you know i think there's still gravity there because of the way they they attack so hard and and how physically strong he is you're not Um, ignoring that right exactly uh where but you know even still you know, with Clarendon and Powers together, like neither of those players are kind of elite shooters. And I do think this team is like a little light on shooting overall and a light on, you know, they don't have that one kind of dead bang, you know, panic inducing three point shooter out, outside of, I mean, they have one, I should say, in, in Kayla McBride. Uh, they would have two if Crystal Dangerfield could stay on the floor, which has been a very disappointing part of the Lynx this season to me. Yeah, that would be, I would say that, you know, wing depth, I think, is, is a strength, but overall depth, I think, is not because of Dangerfield. You know, I love Crystal Dangerfield, but there's plenty of reason to believe she won't be an effective playoff player against the best teams. You know, Vegas has proven to be a terrible matchup for Dangerfield on on the defensive end, you know, especially if they, you know, aren't going to put her on Raquana Williams, maybe the one player that she could hang with physically. You know, Connecticut, maybe you don't worry about her as much defensively but those guards can just remove her from the equation right on offense well they do for most they do most other players right so i mean maybe seattle she can be okay against you know she's had some good games uh from seattle they don't strike me as like a terrible matchup for um for crystal dangerfield and then you know natalie achanwa she's a good established player in the league um but when you just look at like the front court depth of you know, Vegas specifically, like Achan was not really, she's not really going to have a place in that series, I don't think. Yeah. And, but the problem is with that, she has to play now. She has to play at least some minutes because this is the bad part about Dantas being out. Yeah. You know, Dantas is probably going to get, would, would have probably been exposed defensively, but she at least provides that floor spacing and the, as you like to say, optionality to go small ball with Collier at the four. Now you don't have that. And you're, you're going up against front courts like the Joneses in Connecticut or Wilson and Cambage or Turner and, and, and Griner. And you're thinking, God, I can't wait to get Sylvia Falls back out on the floor. You know, like can Sylvia play the entire game? It's that's that's not good. 
Yeah, and I understand that people are, are really high on certain elements of Jessica Shepard's game, and there are definitely like you know undeniable positives there. Um, but she might be like the biggest kind of record scratch offensive player in the league for a team that's already light on shooting. Like she just turns down so many, she turns so many open looks into either turnovers or contested shots from her teammates because she's passing up the the wide open one. It's like she it's like she's a good she's a great passer for her size, but it's like the passing frequency. It and maybe this is a function, Stephen, of just her not being healthy for most of the season, that she's just not in sync with the rest of the players. Um so I will I will give her a pass on that. But I can definitely see your point in, in, in seeing how Shepard minutes, or even worse, Shepard plus a Chanwa minutes would go against some of these better front courts. So a couple other things, you know, they they don't give up a ton of transition frequency somehow, even though they are the worst in the league in live ball turnovers, 9% steal rate for their opponents. Um, but they are 12th in transi- defensive transition uh, efficiency. So when their opponents are able to kind of take advantage of those mistakes and get out in the open court, you know, they're, they're only right around average in terms of uh, frequency in defensive transition, but you know, being twelfth in efficiency, I think is pretty notable, especially when you kind of pair it with their high steals allowed. Oh yeah, I mean, bad transition defense is bad transition defense. That can, that can lose you a playoff game. Any other uh, weaknesses? I guess for me, you know, this. I think this. Am I crazy for thinking that like this? They're going to have a quickness advantage against most of their opponents. A quickness disadvantage, you mean? Yeah, sorry, a quickness disadvantage. <laughs> yeah, thank I you. Mean, where they have the strength advantage, they're going to have a quickness quickness disadvantage. I guess maybe everyone but Phoenix, and I, I totally agree with that. Um, okay, so you want to talk about maybe what you do for, for a closing lineup for this team? I think McBride, Collier, Fowles, you know, those are the obvious ones. Is, is Clarendon a lock for you, and then is it Carlton or Powers, you think? Uh, yes, Clarendon is, is a lock for me because I think when you're talking about the playoffs, you just want a veteran point guard out there. And Clarendon has more than earned their keep in Minnesota uh, in this limited time that she spent on the roster. And then, yes, I think it's Powers um, because, like I said earlier, you need a player who can at least who can create her own shot, you know, uh, late in the game, and not kill you on defense. Like I don't think anyone's going to really be hunting aerial powers. And would you agree with that or no? I would agree with that. Yeah, she she holds and up fine. She I think. Also, and she's also that one player speaking to your previous uh, point on weaknesses. She is also. Uh, like they're one really, really good athlete. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, I, I have been leading Carlton with, with those other four specific players with Clarendon in there, just because I do think you get a little bit of diminishing returns from Clarendon powers together. But I think at some point, like you are just going to need what powers gives to you specifically late in the game and just kind of getting, getting a tough shot up. You know, Carlton, I think does make a little bit more sense as just like a low usage fifth player. I think is probably a better defensive player than Ariel Powers. So Carlton is probably the default, but you know you can definitely see for me situations where where you just need that extra offense from Powers. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, and this is another situation in which not having Demiris Dantas really hurts. Uh, I know you haven't really been high on her this year, but it, it really limits what you want to do on offense. You know, not having that floor spacing big uh, available to you. Yeah, they just have way way fewer options now. Like they don't really have a good lineup for Collier to play the three now, and I think that's huge. So for this team, this this little discussion we're having, this this is kind of what worries me most about this team is they just don't seem like a very high-ceiling team to me. Is that unfair? I don't think it's unfair. I think it's very fair. Of the, the teams that we've talked about, like I would say that they are probably, and honestly, maybe besides Chicago, I think they might be just like the least likely champion just because I, I don't believe in their upside that much. You know, I they are obviously 
a tremendously coached team, like maybe the best coach in the league. They have two players that are for both of us who are in the top five, uh, top 10, top five for me, but top 10 for both of us. Um, but you know, I just, I, I don't believe in kind of the offensive upside for this, for this team, even, even with everybody available. And of course, we are both fully prepared for them to mollywop everyone in the playoffs and for Shell Reef to prove us wrong. Okay, you want to move on to Phoenix? Yeah, let's do it. Phoenix, they are second in offense so far. They're seventh in defense. They have been missing Diana Taurasi as of late, but, you know, similar to, to Brianna Stewart, I think we should operate under the assumption that she'll be available for the playoffs because if she's not, you know, this team might win their first round game, but, but isn't going to go very far. Um, for playoff strengths for them, you know, I mean, we, we've said it for just about every team, but star power, but more so just like offensive creation. They have maybe two of what, the five best offensive players in the league. You know, Diggin Smith did not make either of our top 10, but if we're just talking about offensive players, there's only a handful of players better. And for my money, you know, if we're just talking about the offensive end again, like Griner might be the best player in the league. This is something that no other team in the league has. And that's that's something that sets Phoenix apart from the competition in this discussion is that you're right. They have three of the best offensive players in the league. Hopefully, you know, Diana Charles will be healthy. Even if she's not, I think she's going to give it a go. But um, they, have maybe, they have maybe the best offensive big in the league in Griner. They have maybe the best offensive guard we've ever seen in Diana Chirazi. And then maybe in Diggins Smith, I think you, you say she's the, the best player in the league at, at getting to the rim. From the guard position, yeah, I would say so. And from the guard position, getting past her defender, getting to the rim, getting to the free throw line on what are, you know, real fouls I guess we could say and just you know 40 minutes of like reliable creation even if it's not from your point guard like you can have one or two of Diggin Smith to Rossi Griner in the games essentially at all time if all those players are healthy and even more so you know if we're able to get some version of Bria Hartley yeah I really like that like you said this, this you can stagger these lineups although I think in, in the same respect you're going to see all three of these players closing a game but yeah 40 minutes of reliable shot creation and and for Deegan Smith in particular what have we been talking about for most of these other teams uh I don't know if they have a guard who can create shots for yourself Phoenix you don't need to worry about that so I don't think them winning like this many games in a row what have they won nine in a row ten in a row something like that I don't think it's that much of a fluke because all these players maybe you know Tarazi's been in and out of, out of the lineup but both Deegan Smith and Griner are playing some of the best ball of their career and that's given them some momentum so they're gonna be heading into the playoffs hot and I don't think you can discount that either. Yeah, I guess the one thing that you do worry about is like it, it has seemed that when Tarasi is coming back from injury, like it's taken her a little bit longer to get going. Both last year when she kind of tweaked it for the after missing most of the the prior season, and then the first time she came back this year, you know, it uh, it, it took a couple of games. So when you're when you're only dealing with a couple of games, like that that might be uh, an issue. But you know, hopefully for them, she's able to come back. She's able to be even this version that we've seen lately of Diana Taurasi, you know, it, the other thing is, is like Diana Taurasi right now might be their, their fourth best player overall, you know, obviously not offensively. Yeah, that's scary. So, you know, a couple other strengths I had here, like getting to the free throw line um, or just the free throw line in general, they are second in free throw attempt rate and then number one in free throw attempt rate allowed. So as much as we talk about like in the past, you know, those dumb Brittany Griner reach in for her fifth or sixth foul on a no chancer. You know, this team just never fouls, and both of their bigs are under three fouls per 36 minutes. Yeah, like I like I said when we were talking about our, our top 10 players, um, Griner's been a lot better this year, I think, at just at staying engaged. You know, I, I hate to sound like an armchair coach or whatever, but 
she really does seem like she's just got her head in the game more often there. And Brittany Griner staying in the game, that's that's a pretty big deal, uh, especially when she's being aggressive. One-on-one -on -one in the post, there's there's nobody in the league who can, who can really stop her. Um, and one-on-one, Smith off the dribble, not a lot of players who can really stay in front of her. So there's just so much they've got going on offense. Now, consider concerning the, the point you made about Tarazi and her minutes, yes, I agree on that. And I'll take that one step further. You mentioned Bria Hartley, and while it's really dope to see Bria Hartley come back from her, her ACL injury so quickly, I do wonder what capacity they're going to play her in. Because, I don't know, if this is a player who's not really ready for high-usage situations, because we, we, when we saw her last year in the bubble, um, she was playing amazing, amazing basketball. I don't think you can rely on her to come back and do that right away in a playoff series. So is there a world in which Bria Hartley comes back and those minutes are actually detrimental? Because otherwise you're giving those them to Tarazi and Diggins Smith, which is a pretty darn good backcourt. I do think there's a player immediately coming off less than 12 months ago having an ACL tear where those are just, you know, those are those are negative value minutes. But I don't think you really need her to be better than Tarasi or better than Diggins Smith. Like you need her to be better than what Shea Petty is giving you. And, and even, oh yeah, that, that's for sure. And even still, like that might not be the case. Maybe Hartley is just not there yet physically. Um, but if she is, you know, that that's one more player that you just trust a little bit more and, and no disrespect to Shea Petty, you know, with a, an awesome story and everything like that. But she, she has, um, Hartley's got the higher ceiling. Exactly. And that's, that's what you're hoping for in, in a playoff team that does not have a lot of depth and, I guess that can kind of feed us into there. There are a couple other strengths, but they're they're not really huge ones that I think are going to make or break. So that can kind of uh, lead us into our weaknesses here, which is just like you know the lineup optionality. This team has no choice but to play two traditional bigs. None of their three or four big options can really space the floor at all, um, and their depth just isn't that good. Yeah, their depth isn't that good, and it it, it seems to me like there's going to be a, at least one game like if the Mercury make it to a five game series and there is a uh there, it seems like there's gonna be at least one game where their complementary players just shoot terribly like it, it, like kia nurse is invisible and sophie cunningham isn't you know she's not an aggressive offensive player in most scenarios anyway so it's like can these can these role players if you want to call them that step up and just do what they have to do game in and game out because you know if they don't i mean having that having that high-end talent is great but you know, you, you got to have the complimentary players in order to win a championship as well. So I definitely agree that that's a weakness. And it's, it's just been a point of inconsistency for them for seemingly years and years and years. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think, as you were saying, like role player shooting, like how much do we trust Kia Nurse and Sophie Cunningham or Petty. and Shea Petty, you know, to just be those reliable floor spacers that you need around your star players? Uh, you know, the, like you said, there are probably going to be games where those players at home combined to, to shoot really well. And, and maybe not, you know, maybe they just go cold. Uh, if this team makes it to a five game series, which, you know, I could definitely see uh, upsetting one of those higher seeded teams. Uh, another weakness for me, this is the worst defensive team, at least statistically that we're talking about. And they've been on a roll recently defensively. Uh, our friends over at the Skyhook podcast mentioned that they were second uh, in their recent winning stretch in a defensive efficiency, but you know, they're, they're kind of playing some stinkers and, you know, I just don't know how disciplined, you know, the backcourt defense specifically, like Diggin Smith and Diana Taurasi, like, are they going to be locked in for, for their entire, you know, 35, 36 minutes for a five game series? I think, you know, I think Diggin Smith has been at least a little better this year in defense than she was previously. I still need to see it in consistently in the playoffs though. 
like you said, uh, and it's, I think scheduling has a little bit to do with this. You know, they've been on a roll, but, you know, they have been playing some weaker teams. And in, like I said, I'll go back to the five-game series scenario. Do you trust Diggins Smith and Diana Shirazi to at least play adequate defense in a five-game series? If not, there's going to be some, there are going to be some issues there because then you're constantly putting your bigs. Granted, they have maybe the best big in the league at, at bailing out her teammates and Brianna Turner. But still, I mean, porous perimeter defense in, in over having like getting beat off the dribble over and over again, or just not being engaged, like you said, that's that's not good if you're constantly putting your your defense in compromising positions. I guess you know one one thing that you you always got to bring up with this team is they have been better on the glass this year than in years past. But I feel like you know they go against Connecticut, obviously, but even some of like the lower statistical teams on the offensive glass, you know, Minnesota with Sylvia Fowles, who has not been really a super dominant offensive rebounder like in years past, but we know it's in our game, right? You know, Vegas has a surprisingly poor offensive rebounding team, but they could definitely just crash the glass, you know, a little bit harder if they, especially since they're not, you know, teams are not worried about Phoenix getting out in transition, right? They are 10th in transition frequency offensively. So like, you, you know, that they're just really not, that's not part of their game. So you can maybe put a little bit more emphasis on crashing the offensive glass. If you're not worried about them kind of getting out and running, this is a team obviously that has a history of being uh, vulnerable in that area. Now, when you say that, would you, do you think that's like a schematic thing or is that just like a lack of athleticism on the roster? In terms of just their defensive rebounding? No, like, uh, well, yes, but also lack of transition offense. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily uh, a uh, talent thing. You know, they have Skylar Diggins-Smith. Uh, they have Diana Taurasi. You know, maybe maybe it's just like the bench plays really slow or something like that. You know, maybe Skylar, uh, I, I haven't really dived into their individual numbers too much. I, I just saw that they were 10th in frequency. And I know Skylar Diggins-Smith is historically a pretty good... Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. But, you know, Brittany Griner is going to give you, like, four transition possessions a year or something like that. Um, but you would think, you know, starters versus starters, when, when Diggins-Smith and Tarasi and Bree Turner are all in the game, like, th- those players can all kind of uh, be threats in their own way in transition. So, um, yeah, maybe it is. You know, they never... They never allow transition opportunities either. So, you know, maybe that has something to do with it. Just kind of being a little bit more cautious and keeping your players back. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. Maybe that's how you keep your players engaged uh, in half-court defense. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a coach. But um, would you like to move on to Chicago? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Chicago is, they are seventh in offense and sixth in defense. Eric, I had a hard time coming up with some some reliable playoff strengths for this team. I did too, and that really breaks my heart as a Sky fan. But um, maybe it's been a little bit of a disappointing season in that regard. Uh, they have Candace Parker, which I think is a strength. It's it's at least the cool thing to me, anyways, having Candace Parker, um, at least when she's healthy. You know, uh, she has she's shown at least recently um, she still has the ability to kind of take over a game on offense. She's had some huge scoring outings. They haven't all the time translated to team success, however. I think also having Ali Quigley is a thing. Like, like maybe in a in a single elimination, like a one game playoff scenario, having a player who can just hit five or six three pointers in a game is is a good thing to have. But other than that, I don't really see any one specific area that this team can really hang its hat on. Yeah, I would say maybe you know forcing turnovers, getting into the open court. You know, they are number two in transition frequency. They've got maybe you know collectively maybe the most athletic group of wings in the league that's that's really all i got you know they have uh, a good 
solid backcourt in terms of, you know, uh, a great point guard, but not one who's really going to dominate in the way a lot of other great players dominate, right? You're not going to hope for 25 from Courtney Vandersloot in a playoff game. Allie Quigley is probably still their most effective offensive player just in terms of, you know, generating points and, and being efficient in doing so. So, you know, there's there's a lot of question marks about kind of who who is and isn't going to really play heavy minutes in the rotation. Um, I, I don't know, man. And anything else you got on strengths? Because I'm not feeling too good about this one. Uh, teams don't shoot a lot of threes against them. They actually have the lowest three-point frequency against in the league. But they also have the highest frequency of shots taken from one to five feet away from the hoop. So yeah, I think teams will teams will take the layups most of the time. Yeah, most of the time, and that's the probably the one weakness that I think stands out to me immediately. This defense is just like they rank they've ranked okay throughout most of the season. Um, of course, it's it's kind of taken a dip as as they've actually played better teams uh, later in the season. Anecdotally speaking, I don't have much to back this up, but it sure it sure seems like the sky. Either I don't know what it is their their communication on pick and rolls are, are not always great, but it sure seems like they give up a lot of shots that are just like wide open underneath the rim. Um, and going against so many teams that are really good at getting those shots, as we've discussed, that's a problem. You know, you use a term um, previously that I really liked, disaster potential. I think that's a funny term, and I think it's also a very accurate term when you're describing this this Sky team. I could see this team winning a championship. I could also see this team getting bounced in the first round and losing by 20 points. You know, like just the way they've played has just not been inspiring consistently. They did, they did go on that seven game winning streak when they were playing some lousy teams. They have also beaten Seattle three times. So it's like, is this really an elite team? I, I haven't seen it. There just isn't a lot that stands out. I mean, they're, they're certainly the most volatile team that we're talking about, right? Just in terms of their, their high highs and their low lows. Um, well, they're the sixth seed. That's for they, a reason. Yeah, that's right. And and just offensive consistency, you know, is one of the biggest weaknesses for me. You know, they they don't have a ton of great shooting options, and you know, some of their better shooting options are are coming from the big positions, which does pre- uh, present it, you know, its its own advantages. But you definitely kind of need some more of that from you know your guards and your wings as well. And this is a bottom four half court offense you know they when things are when they're not able to kind of get in transition they're they're just on a lower level offensively than than these other teams here which is and that kind of intrudes on the other strength of transition uh transition frequency and athleticism on the wing yes you can play diamond shields and clear copper together and get a ton of transition buckets but in the half court you're going to struggle so let's let me ask you your own question what's your closing lineup do you go with the copper and DeShields combination or you do or do you play quickly over DeShields um because you just need that that offense I mean for me for a team that that has so struggled offensively and you know I think there, there's some noise with all this stuff right allowing the h- highest proportion of shots at the rim like maybe missing Parker uh, affects that in some way this this is the only team that we're talking about that's not in the top four on either side of the ball like they just don't have their kind of calling card um Obviously, you know, Vandersloot is in there. Parker's in there. I think it's Quigley. I, I think it's got to be Copper unless she, like, really just doesn't have it going and, and Diamond is giving you something. And, you know, I got to go with Steph Dolson. She, she's been – I think she's earned it this season. You know, we, we just did that game against uh, Vegas. Was that last week? Um, where Astu deservingly closed that game. Um, 
But I, you know, I think Dolson, between what she gives you offensively, she's been an improved defender. She's just one more player that can make a, a good pass, you know, thread a needle and, and spot up reliably. Uh, that that's I I would think generally I just kind of I lean offense a little bit more than than coaches do, but that's kind of what I would go with. I think ninety nine out of a hundred times. Okay. Um, what about I, you? I mean, it's it's your your team. What do you think? It is my team. Uh, and I've seen this team do different things. Like this this is this is part of the problem. This is why I have a hard time seeing this team as a as a contender because it seems like so much of what they do is matchup dependent. Are you going up against a team where you're okay with? with quickly getting burned by uh, an opposing guard one or two times? Or are you in a situation in which you really need that defense and you really need that length on the perimeter? It's just like, it's not it's not a situation in which they don't have a closing lineup because they have so many options. It's a situation in which they don't have a, have a set closing lineup because you just don't know. Like, what, we don't know what, what the game's going call to for, call for. And that, to me, is a weakness. That's a great point. That That's really good framing. I didn't really think of it in that way. But yeah, it's it's not that, you know, all these players have presented so many strengths. It, it is more so that, yeah, all right, let, let's hope this one works this time. Yeah, maybe this one will work this time. Okay, if, if Dolson isn't working, okay, let's, let's let's put out a stew. Like, that's not that's not a good thing to have. Although, I, I do think you wanted to talk about the, the which big is, is better next to Parker, correct? Yeah, I, do, do you lean one way or the other? I mean, I already said that I kind of lean towards Dolson, I think, I, most of the time. What do you think? I agree. I agree. Um, prior to the season, I, I would have thought that Parker and Stevens was the best combination. And maybe in some situations it still is. Uh, you're you're going to have to go to that lineup sometimes because of all these really big front courts you're going to be going up against. But uh, Dolson does provide her, her own set of undeniable strengths as well as undeniable weaknesses. But um, sometimes you're just going to need to take advantage of that. And I guess that's, the pro- that's one of the realities of, of having a, a fluid eight or nine player rotation and that some of these matchups are going to call for more of an offensive center. Some of them are just going to call for more of a defensive center. Then of course, Steph Dolson, one of her major uh, traits is that she's almost consistently in foul trouble. So that's another point of volatility there. So like I said, this team is just so hard to, to nail down what they're going to do or what they're going to have to do. Let me ask you one question before we, before we get out of here. All right. right. Who do you feel best about between Minnesota, Phoenix and Chicago in terms of their championship upside? Phoenix. I think uh, I think I agree with you. Yeah, and it didn't take me long to think about that. I, that's something I don't really want to think about. That's like gut instinct. You know, like, okay, who's who's playing the best right now? Minnesota, they've won like 13 to 16 games, so I'm by no means discrediting what they've done uh, recently either. But I just look at the way in Phoenix, that Phoenix has been playing. I think that's a team that I don't want to play heading into the playoffs. Chicago, like, eh, inconsistent. Like, Minnesota, they can be beaten. But Phoenix, like... That's a scary team when they're all firing on the same cylinders, as they have been doing for like two months in a row now. So, yeah, if if, if Phoenix ends up winning at all, I honestly would not be that surprised. Okay, well, I think that'll do us do it for us. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you want to support the show, you can subscribe. Uh, please do that. Rate and review. Please do that as well. Um, you can tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Double Down WNBA at Nemchak E for Eric at Trinkwald for myself and we are we're almost to the playoffs man we're, we're just about there just a couple weeks remaining we're really excited hope you're in for some uh some fun content uh we're really looking forward to it so stay safe and stay healthy out there and we will talk to you again shortly